Hello and welcome to the EMJ podcast with me, your host, Dr. Jonathan Sakia. Today, I'm once again joined by Professor Mark DeBoer, who works in infectious diseases at Leiden University Medical Center and is the current president of the Dutch Working Party on Antibiotic Policy, or SWAB. This is the second episode in this two-part series. I certainly enjoyed our first chat. I'm looking forward to our second. So welcome back, Professor Mark DeBoer. Yes, glad to be back, Jonathan. Fantastic. So, Mark, uh, we've, we've talked about antimicrobial resistance, but antimicrobial stewardship is, is a more broad term. It's critical in combating the rise of resistant infections. And you describe this as a pandemic, and I love that. Please tell our audience what you mean by antibiotic stewardship. And can you share some insights on the strategies and challenges involved in implementing effective antimicrobial stewardship programs? Yes, of course. Um, let's start by saying that, uh, like other colleagues, I sometimes get the question, uh, Mark, please give a lecture on antimicrobial stewardship. But I then say, well, it's not so easy to, to do that topic in only one lecture because it's, it's multiple things. Uh, so I say, okay, but which topic or which aspect of antimicrobial stewardship, which is actually um, the sum of all coordinated interventions uh, that are designed um, to improve and to implement uh, the appropriate use of antimicrobial agents. Uh, and it can be done in multiple ways by uh, promoting the selection of the optimal uh, therapy or uh, can be aimed at uh, choosing the right dose or the route of administration. So it's a lot actually, and it's certainly not limited to the things I just named as examples. What is important is to discriminate between the what and the how of antimicrobial stewardship. So the what is actually um, uh, the theory behind it, what is it? And for that, it's best to imagine the trajectory of an infectious disease in a patient with the onset of the disease, the diagnosis, the empirical therapy phase, the phase in which you can maybe uh, do aimed therapy based on the antibiogram and the culture, and then uh, modifying the duration of treatment according to the needs of the patient. And in every part of this trajectory, there are stewardship possibilities. I'll give you an example. There can be diagnostic stewardship. So aiming at having the cultures and culture results more rapidly or more completely or by reporting only the uh, sensitivity of the antibiotics with a small spectrum and not provide, let's say, eight choices for the treating physician from the microbiology lab, because maybe they will choose something broad spectrum uh, and, and you don't want that, so that's diagnostic stewardship. But uh, another example is the provision of an antibiotic allergy guideline, which can also help with choosing more appropriate antimicrobial therapy. Here in the Netherlands, we have constituted such a guideline to, uh, to cause that people will not incorrectly choose broad spectrum because lots of the allergies, uh, more than nine out of 10 reported allergies appear not to be correct, uh, cause that, that there's broader spectrum prescribed than is actually needed. Now, the, that's the what. Now, the how is how you implement these measures. 
and that needs collaborations with other experts within the hospital. So it's about uh, how do I want these patients with infected orthopedic implants to receive better uh, and more targeted antimicrobial therapy. That means that you have to organize a multidisciplinary meeting on orthopedic joint infections every week to discuss on kind of treatment altogether. So the how is more how you implement it, what, and that's what's your problem in your hospital, in your setting, in your epidemiology, and the what is about what can we do, what are the low-hanging fruits of antimicrobial stewardship, which kind of measures would and can work. It's more science and the knowledge and the how is the implementation. And these are very important components to discriminate between in antimicrobial stewardship. So that's actually uh, just in a nutshell, Jonathan, what I think it is. So thanks for that oversight. Um, Mark, you recently co-authored a paper entitled Trends in Antibiotic Selection Pressure Generated in Primary Care uh, and Their Association with Sentinel Antimicrobial Resistant Patterns in Europe. Tell us about the main findings from that study. Because, of course, yeah. a lot of our antibiotics are, are prescribed in primary care, correct? Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. In, in most countries where the uh, primary care physician is kind of gatekeeper, so sees the patient first, um, they prescribe 80 to 90% of uh, all antibiotics that are used in uh, human medicine. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, thank you for bringing up the study. Uh, and I think it's first nice to mention that it combines some novel insights. Uh, first, uh, it deals with population use of antibiotics. Uh, a lot of studies we see are aimed at the use of antibiotics in, uh, in hospitals, while it's only uh, about 10%. Of course, it's more broad spectrum uh, and, and there are more resistant microorganisms. So it's, it's not unlogical to, to go there first, but we can learn a lot more from uh, what's going on in the population. The second thing is that uh, we use the kind of system of sentinel microorganisms. So instead of monitoring all kinds of bacteria with their resistance patterns, we choose those bacteria in this um, in, in this study that 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 had the most impact. So staph aureus, um, Staphylococcus pneumonia, and E. coli for respiratory soft tissue uh, infections, urinary tract infections, and uh, pneumonia. And we combine that uh, with uh, using a proxy indicator for the antibiotic selection pressure, that is the antimicrobial spectrum index, in which a higher number corresponds with a broader spectrum. And this study, of which Martijn Seibom, one of my PhD students, was the first author, used then data of 14 countries in Europe um, over a period of uh, close to 10 years. And what we found is that um, the development of antimicrobial resistance over time was most closely related with the antimicrobial spectrum index, even more than with the total amount of antibiotics, which shows is that there are better ways to do this kind of monitoring. And of course, then you run into the discussion of cause and consequence, which you have all the time. Uh, so if you have more resistant microorganisms, physicians are pushed to use more broad spectrum antibiotics. So you could argue that it's a consequence and, and not a cause of antimicrobial resistance, but it actually is both. You can see that over time. And this study actually shows the point on a negative spiral 
the countries in Europe are in at this very moment. And uh, it also elucidates uh, the important point that AMR is not a hospital problem alone. Um, and we were just talking about uh, antibiotic stewardship, um, uh, Jonathan. I think also that uh, what we overlooked until now is that antimicrobial stewardship is also very important in uh, primary care medicine. And much can be done still. And uh, organizations like the ESCMIT and the ISO, ISA, but also the WHO, have all embraced the idea that implementation of AMS is the way forward. Programs have been started in hospitals, but I think we now have to look also in outpatient care and primary care to go forward with antimicrobial stewardship. So, Mark, you've also conducted other research into things like the evolving epidemiology of antimicrobial resistance in clinically relevant microorganisms. Can you tell us about that and other interesting aspects of your research? Thinking about strategies that would improve your uh, antimicrobial treatment and, and diminish or uh, at least decrease the uh, inappropriate use of antibiotics, most of the time also raises questions about uh, what's going on right now. Uh, can we know more about the pathogenesis to actually rationalize the duration of therapy? And in many instances, you need that information first before you can go to designing your intervention. But one of the very interesting uh, projects we did lately was the, that we did a worldwide uh, inventory uh, of the treatment of Staph aureus bacteremia, so the treatment of methicillin-sensitive uh, uh, Staph aureus, and uh, MRSA, so uh, methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, worldwide via channels like Twitter and other social media. It was performed by a PhD of mine, um, Annette Westgeest, and she went to Duke University and we collaborated with uh, Vance Fowler and other colleagues to roll out this survey. And we had some very interesting results. They were published in uh, CID two months ago, and which we in which it was shown that there were very large uh, differences in treatment practices of some aspects of the management aspects of this disease. And from that, we can learn also to communicate with each other and design the trials that are needed to improve the antimicrobial therapy for this patient population. And, and it was all about Staph aureus bacteria. Um, so sometimes you have to do studies like this first to actually make clear what the problems are that are real. So at the start of a clinical study, I always ask, what is, what is your real clinical problem? What is it all about? And when discussing this further, uh, very often we come to other questions as well that need to be addressed first before we can address the main question. So um, in the context of infectious diseases and antibiotic resistance, tell us about some common misconceptions that healthcare professionals, and in fact, the general public might have that you'd like to address? Well, we, in, in, in this podcast and, and the previous one, I think we already have addressed some, I think. Um, uh, but one of the things that uh, are certainly false is the expectations that uh, the pharmaceutical industry will timely provide us with new antimicrobials as needed. 
in particular oral antibiotics uh, that we can use in the outpatient setting that's what we want but I think that we cannot count on that um, so new initiatives need to be developed to uh, end up in a situation that uh, finally we cannot treat common urinary tract infections for example with oral antibiotics and in, in many countries uh, we're moving in that direction already um, so that's that's a threat and also a misconception that that will be solved uh, on short notice by the medical community because that's not true I think something that's also a common misunderstanding is that now we have embraced antimicrobial stewardship that it will soon go better all the way um, but that's also not true because we still have a lot a long way to go a lot of work to do with regarding to implementing antimicrobial stewardship and the result of that antimicrobial stewardship effort will only be seen in the long term so in the meantime we really need to work um, on other solutions and with regard to the what there's also a lot of questions that need to be answered uh, which will also not be answered in short notice because we really need trials or other complicated research that will take many years so we should be in this problem for the long term it's not uh, a sprint it's really going to be a marathon that maybe will never end I'm, I'm adding that to my list of uh, uh, powerful things you said it's a pandemic and this is a marathon um, uh, absolutely right and it's about it really is about changing perceptions I mean I, the number of times I hear people say they were prescribed a 10-day course of antibiotics and they felt better at day five so they stopped taking them um, and even worse they then flushed them down the toilet or gave them to a friend or a relative um, so yeah we've got to do a lot more education so I'm sorry go ahead go ahead Mark example that you that you provide here because um, first of all this story may tell us that uh, traditionally we are treating infectious diseases for a period that's too long almost every trial that tries to show that you can do with a short duration of antimicrobial therapy is successful so um, maybe uh, attain, attain a standard 10-day course should be a five-day course uh, so something we've learned for pneumonia for example um, and in the meantime it also shows that we need to educate the public that uh, of course we, we have to do the work of designing the trials with shorter duration and and and, and think about the biology and, and getting these kind of things right on the other hand we should educate the general public better about the threat of antimicrobial resistance and also telling them what to do when they are already better after five days so not flush it down the toilet bring it back to the pharmacy and and have appropriate ways to dispose of antimicrobials we don't need so sorry for interrupting Jonathan but no, 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 no. it's um, too tempting to, to say this yes yeah it's um you know I when I was living in America and people have, in rural areas have septic tanks and you know explaining to people that the the <laughs> the infections in the septic tanks uh, you know if you interfere with them you're going to interfere with the function that it was designed for so uh, yeah it really is fascinating so 
You've got a pretty extensive background, Mark, and considering that, how do you see the future of infectious disease management and antibiotic policy evolving over the next decade? What steps should the medical community take to stay ahead of those challenges? Yeah, that's, that, that, uh, before we get to the, to the answer of that, we need to discriminate uh, certain levels uh, in antibiotic policy. So first there is antimicrobial governance on, on a high level. And for example, an example of that is how you deal with shortages of small spectrum penicillins, which we encounter in Europe uh, more frequently. That's something you can deal with on uh, an international level uh, in Europe. For example, deciding uh, of which antibiotics we should have um, uh, a storage, uh, so uh, a reserve uh, somewhere um, to secure uh, the production of certain kind of antibiotics, etc. Uh, in order to prevent that broader spectrum antimicrobials are used. And also, and we need the professional bodies here too, we can decide on which kind of guidelines we would like to see on an international level. So um, people in Spain can adhere to it, but also uh, physicians in, in Sweden. And then you have the national and regional level, uh, which is needed for, of course, surveillance, educational programs, for example. And there's the local level, primary care, uh, uh, hospital care, etc., uh, for antimicrobial stewardship and, and its implementation. And then there's something that should encompass all the levels. Uh, the research level and on, we have to perform well on all these levels to stay ahead of the challenges so no research eh? there's no no pain no gain eh? and uh, if you have it sorted out on a national or international level but you don't enhance the implementation of antimicrobial stewardship in your hospitals you're also going to lose so um, I think that the uh, ambition to be complete in that is very important. And I think, I hope that someone from the WHO listens and, and, and think of it in the same way. Um, there's, there's not specifically, I think, Jonathan, one thing that, that we should do. I think it's, it's to have the coordination of all, of all of these levels on what we are heading to that this is very important. I think that sums it up uh, brilliantly, yeah. Mark. Um, we, we've all got to do our part. Every single man, woman and child, we've all got to do our part. You know, my, um, my paternal grandfather died from an infectious disease. Um, and when he, I never knew him, but when he died, uh, the antibiotics were available. They just weren't widely available. And we know that every day children around the world die from diarrheal disease. We know that people in lesser developed countries die um, and suffer from all oh, things like river blindness and tuberculosis and malaria and, and on and on and on. So we just need to raise our awareness because um, I think if we're kind to everyone, we're kind to ourselves. So Mark, my final question for you, if you came across a genie who granted you three wishes for global healthcare or within your specialty, whatever, what would those three wishes be? Yeah, 
quite a difficult question. But I think that one of the wishes I would have is that they would stop the climate change and the global warming. And, and I say that because it's going to be dominant and very important for the field of infectious diseases in the coming decennia. Also for the spread of antimicrobial resistance. The second thing is uh, poverty, because lots of important bacterial diseases are related to poverty. Uh, it are the people with less resources that suffer the most, and for them, um, healthcare is not as readily available as it is for us. And antimicrobial resistance is going to hit them harder, probably, than. Uh, people who have access to all kinds of healthcare resources. And the third thing is, is that something that I would wish for is that we develop a better means to use the clinical data, healthcare data, we all acquire in our electronic systems, but we don't use it safe and efficiently enough to help us to, for example, um, um, map the epidemiology of antimicrobial resistance uh, with regard to, but also with regard to clinical research, we can use the data of patients that are treated for infectious diseases much more efficiently if we would have access to that and if they were in a better format. So um, I think that the third thing is maybe not as big as the other two wishes um, I would ask for. But I still want to mention it in this podcast because I think it's important. Well, what's well, that old aphorism that if you want to, you know, you want to reach the moon, aim for the stars. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. Thanks once again for taking the time to, to talk with us. Professor Mark de Boer, you're a delight. Thank you very much, Sam. So, folks, please subscribe so that you never miss an episode and like us on social media, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and join us next week for another fascinating episode. I certainly learn so much from these interactions, uh, and I hope you do too. Until then, I'm Dr. Jonathan Sakia, and I thank you for listening to the EMJ podcast. Please stay safe, stay well, stay curious. Bye for now.